Welcome to You Hear Big Girls Attack on Titan podcast. I'm Mom Taku. And I'm Luna. And this month, we're very happy to have two very big Aaron fans on on our podcast. Uh, our first one is Akai from the SCNK project and uh, Humble, who is best known from Andrew Allstars' live streams. Welcome to both of you. Hi, everyone. My name is Sophie. You can call me Akai. I'm a digital artist and a graphic designer from Chile. I've been in the fandom since 2013, since the first season. And I used to make fun art and manga coloring for Chincolor no Kei. My favorite character is Eren, by far, I think. Hi, everyone. My name is The Humble Servant. I'm from Texas and a longtime listener and a big fan of the You Hear Big Girl podcast. I'm truly humbled to be here because of my balance, respect, and admiration for Luna and Mamtaku and the work they're doing. I've been a fan of Attack on Titan since 2013, but I joined the fandom around 2018. You can find me at the Andrew All-Star server because I like to spend my time debating others and offering my own insight. I have pretty strong feelings about any character, so you'll find pretty good conversations with me. And uh, my favorite character would have to be Aaron Yeager. This will be fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For all the people who are criticizing, oh, you don't have any Aaron fans on? We have two, okay? Yes. <laughs> we listen. <laughs> All right. Well, we always start off with our chapter impressions. So let's go ahead and do that. Akai, why don't you go first? What did you think about chapter 121? I think it was awesome. I love the chapter. It was really a shock to know that Aaron saw memories from the future when he kissed his story's hand. I think that explains a lot of his change. Uh, it was also awesome when he said Grisha to keep moving forward and fight because he started this history. I, I like to see that speech again. What about you, Humble? Uh, yeah, I thought the chapter was absolutely amazing. I would give it a 10 out of 10 rating. It did confirm a lot of my previous opinions. And I know we disagreed quite a bit on certain characters, so this should make for a fun conversation. But yeah, overall chapter uh, impressions were really good. A lot of my previous opinions were validated. And I did sort of feel more favorable to all the characters that were presented. Well, this will be a fun discussion indeed, because I think I feel the complete opposite way. I think I saw someone comment in one of the servers like, Aluna is going to hate this chapter, just like the previous one. And I don't know who you are, but um, you're right. I, I didn't quite enjoy this chapter as much. I'm not a big Grisha fan either. He's kind of being absolved of most of his crimes, except for Zeke's, you know, and his childhood. But, you know, he gets to make amends with Zeke in this chapter as well. So that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I wonder if, you know, Isayama is going to announce he's becoming a father soon. And he now views Grisha in a different way and wants to, you know, clean up his character. I don't know. I, uh, I am a bit ambivalent about this chapter because I also really enjoyed Eren. Because I feel validated as well when it comes to <laughs> him. Mamtaku, what were your thoughts on this month's I, I was wondering if you were going to go further with how you feel about him. But I guess we're going to break into wait, that in a minute. We'll wait for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I loved this chapter. Like, this might be one of my favorites. And I think looking at the poll, you would probably know better than me because you can math better than me, Luna. But I think this is the highest rated one since 112. And for me, what made it amazing was that it was just that perfect blend of mysteries solved, new information, the setup for for more to come. I mean, it just it was it, it was everything I love about Attack on Titan, even with the 
way time travel was introduced, I had been dreading that, like really dreading it because it's usually so difficult to do well. But I, I just, everything about this chapter was good for me. And complete opposite to you, Luna, seeing Grisha, like humble, you and I both have been like huge, huge defenders of Grisha, you more than me. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say this. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I, I would even go further than you sometimes because I remember you, you would concede that, okay, Grisha did some things wrong, whereas yes. I defended every single action he ever did just because I, I did sort of have a feeling that he was doing this because he had some sort of self-righteous morality that he was following and uh, he was looking for the greater good. And uh, I knew that that would guide him to make the ultimate great choices. And, and I'm glad, I'm really glad that this chapter validated that for me. Yeah, it felt pretty good for me too. The thing that I, I enjoyed most about it, maybe that'll be a talking point later, was something that's bothered me basically since the time skip, why Aaron was so opposed to Historia taking that Titan power. And I think this chapter, we got that answer. Chapter 121 was called Memories of the Future, but it started with memories of the past and included many memories of the past. For instance, like the opening panel of Armin. And of course, um, a favorite of many was the revisiting of Mikasa and Aaron wrapping the scarf around her. I think that one especially generated some discussion because of what it may or may not have said about Aaron Yeager. Do you guys have any thoughts about that? I think it's very interesting how how many times showed us that moment of Aaron giving Mikasa the scarf. And I know because I've colored all of them. Uh, <laughs> I think I've colored that scene twice. I, I think it was 121. I don't remember. But I have colored that same scene from two different angles. And now again, we have it in this chapter. So that's really, I don't know, it makes me curious because maybe that scene is far more important than we thought we knew, or maybe it just means it's the most important moment that Eric thinks he had with Mikasa. That's interesting. I know is Isayama's art style has improved significantly, significantly, and you've noticed that probably more than the rest of us. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed any differences as you color that scene? Any changes in it that are, are noticeable as you go through them or not really? Not really, just improvement on the expressions and, and the anatomy and all the stuff. Now, will you be the person coloring it for 121 as well, or has somebody else been assigned that page? Someone else, someone else. I just uh, colored the Mikasa going for wood. From 120? Yes. I think we mentioned in the 120 podcast how that was the largest panel. So clearly mm -hmm. there's some importance there that's coming back. What about you, Humble? Did that did those particular panels strike you in any particular way? Yeah, I would say the title is very curious. It says memories of the future, but we get no memories of the future and everything happens in the past. So I'm going to make a, one small prediction right now is, and maybe say that there will be a future chapter that says memories of the past, which will be in the future. Maybe Aaron showing Grisha the scene or whatever, but they will be talking about, they'll be referencing things that happened in the past. Uh, to sort of kind of parallel this chapter. And so I really like that title. And the panel with Aaron and Mikasa is also very wholesome. I really enjoyed the relationship between them because I never really bought into Aaron hating Mikasa. And, and I think this sort of kind of argues for my favor. So yeah, this, this chapter as a whole really, really uh, did it for me. 
what if the next <laughs> chapter is called prediction from the past? <laughs> yeah. I, I love that you call Aaron wholesome. That's like the one <laughs> based on this whole chapter. He said the scene was wholesome, Luna. I know, but still, like, Aaron is part of that scene. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Aaron can never be wholesome, I guess. I mean, I mean, for all the chapters to call Aaron wholesome, I, this would be the one not to, in my opinion. But Yeah, there, there are actions of Aaron that I really can't defend all the way, especially his actions in Liberio. They can be justified. They can as well. And, and I'm not going to take a strong position on that. So, yeah, I completely do hear you, Luna, about Aaron and, and hating him. So I, I just want to say I understand those sentiments. One thing that really impressed me was the panel, again, the murder of the kidnappers. I don't know how many times we've seen that one now. Is it four? Superimposed with the words, from birth, I've always been like this. I find that personally really concerning, you know, like somebody who's just born that way and never moves past it. I see it as sort of a negative towards Aaron, that he never matured, he never grew up. You know, he's stuck with a, a toddler's ideology. You take my toy, I'm going to take yours. And I know that's grossly oversimplifying this situation. Other people, that's their favorite moment because it shows kind of his unwavering resolve and that the Aaron that we're seeing in 121 is the same as Aaron in chapter one. He hasn't changed. This dark side that we're seeing, it's still motivated by the same things that that little boy cared about. So that's another topic that I think I'd like people's impressions on. What did you think? Can I start? Because I have a completely different thought on that. Like I didn't, uh, it felt like a lie to me because this chapter we can, and also last chapter we saw that Aaron can um, somehow influence the holders of the attack Titan. But I wonder, you know, when Aaron um, murdered the kidnappers, he didn't possess the attack Titan yet. But I wonder if he was still able to speak to child Aaron because we always saw little Aaron before that moment as like a sweet kid and yeah uh, Armin showed him that book and he wanted to go outside the walls but he was never this little violent maniac <laughs> that he has become and I feel like now Aaron has become the person that I personally saw when he killed those kidnappers and I wonder if Aaron from the future influenced little Aaron to do that yeah, I understand what you're saying. I don't think Aaron was able to influence baby Aaron in that way. And one thing that I would like to reference right now is when Levi speaks about Aaron when he meets him for the first time during the female Titan arc, Levi says he's a complete monster and it has nothing to do with his attack Titan abilities. So I think what we see there is exactly who Aaron is. Yeah, but and that's Aaron when he already, I feel like he started to change from that moment on when he killed the kidnappers. I don't think that was how he was before that. It didn't seem like that to me. I'm not a big Aaron fan, so I could be wrong. Maybe there's a moment I'm forgetting, but. Oh yeah, I think the, the biggest, most influential scene that has ever happened on uh, to Aaron is when Armin tells Aaron that uh, he's not free. You know, when he shows him the book and he wishes that they could go outside and see, Aaron doesn't really care about going outside, but he realizes that he is a bird in a birdcage, and that really affects him. And I, and that happens mm. before the kidnapper scene. So I think I that 
Yeah, yeah. So I yeah. think that's what really influenced Aaron. And he is going to fight against oppression in any form because he wants to, he wants to fight for this idea of freedom. So you still think it was Armin who set things in motion for Aaron with the yeah, book? Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was definitely Armin that made Aaron become who he is. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> I do sort of agree with that because I don't know that Aaron even realized he wasn't free until that moment. I don't disagree either. I think both were big influencing moments for Aaron. Yeah, I think Aaron before, he didn't have a motivation then Armin came with the book and told him about all these wonderful things that could be outside. I think that that was what triggered Eren's impulse for freedom. Because before that, he was just watching the clouds pass by. Mm-hmm. I remember that scene. But then Armin told him about all wonderful things. And he started to develop a hate about people that didn't want to go outside, that lived comfortable inside the walls. I think you're making really great points, Akai. And uh, one thing uh, I would add to this is that uh, everyone inside the walls is, was very complacent. They were fine living a peaceful life uh, mm -hmm. inside the walls, knowing that they're not actually free because of the Titans. So you, you sort of have this oppressive power structure where you have the Titans who dominate the world essentially, but mm -hmm. But there's also this contract with the humans where they live peacefully inside the walls. And everyone was fine with that. But the moment that contract was broken, when the Titans broke in, they realized the terror of being inside a birdcage, the humiliation of being inside a birdcage. And I think we should all give Aaron credit. He was right. He rightfully identified a power structure that was unjust. And he fought against it. And so uh, th those are the ideals uh, of Aaron that I really like. He was thinking outside the box in that moment because everyone was just living freely. And after the Colossal Titan broke in, they weren't humans anymore. They were just food for Titans. You guys have both been in the fandom as long as I have. And I remember back when these chapters were coming out and beyond thinking about them. And before we knew who Grisha Yeager truly was, I remember thinking how unusual it was that Aaron would be running around the city as an elementary school child telling people not to be complacent, his anger at Hanes and the others, and this threat of the Titans. And he was like this lone little trumpet sounding the warning all the time. And I remember thinking at the time that children are not born that way. That's usually the result of dinner table conversation. And I thought for sure Grisha was discussing politics with Aaron or that there was a lot of family dynamic that was contributing to that. Uh, this is before we knew anything about Grisha, but that's not the case. Grisha kept Aaron out of it. So it truly was Aaron getting that idea in his head without a parent's prompting, which is kind of unusual, and acting as this messenger to everyone in the walls that he could talk to. I think after he saw the book of Armin, I think he was like, someone has to do something about this. Someone has to do a significant action to change the cycle of fearing the Titans. I think there was inside there this little sparkle of curiosity, freedom, and the will to do things that others are not able or not brave enough to do the first step towards it. So basically, Armin provided the match that lit an ember that was already mm -hmm. ready for ignition. 
I think the murder of the kidnappers was also a form of expression of that, of this idea. Aaron saw these kidnappers like he saw the Titans. He acted like that, so violent. I think it was like an impulse of rage because uh, besides the Titans, there were humans too that were ripping off the, the, the freedom out of him. The kidnappers weren't really a threat to him, and they were a threat to Mikasa. And so some people have pointed out that panel and said, you know, how does that relate to Aaron? That wasn't his freedom. It was someone else's. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Humble, were you going to speak to that? Yes. Uh, I just want to mention, I completely agree, Akai. No one really influenced Aaron to be like this. This is where the quote comes in. From birth, I've always been th been like this. He's he's always been like this. He's always been someone who didn't appreciate uh, oppressive power structures. And that kind of goes into why he murdered those kidnappers. It wasn't his freedom, but it was someone else's freedom. It was an oppressive power structure, someone who was exercising power illegitimately and that is unjust in his eyes and so what he did is to fight against that that's why he murdered those kidnappers because they were doing something he saw as unjust and he's going to fight for that no matter what and so that's that kind of goes into some part of Aaron's persona and why I really like him he's proactive in trying to um, actualize his ideals yeah and I don't think he fights only for his own freedom but this whole humanity that we know now that it's aliens humanity, aliens freedom. I think this anger I talked to you before, it's also frustration because he he just doesn't him to be free, but also his friends, his family, and the people that he knows to be free. And and I think this anger it's frustration because uh, the people that he care about doesn't fight like he fights against this oppression that Humble says. Yes, and I would actually go a step further. I think Aaron fights uh, on principle. He wants everyone to be free and he fights against oppressive power structures. Okay, but Humble, wouldn't you say that Aaron himself is the leader of an oppressive power structure right now? Like, that's the part that bothers me. When I think about my personal frustrations with Aaron. He's a hypocrite. It, yeah. It ties into the Jaegerists and his unwillingness to work within the power structure that was not corrupt. You know, the, the, the people that should have been his allies and to just disregard all of them. And with people like Flock and Zeke, you know, now, we, now mm -hmm. he is basically the figurehead of an oppressive regime. I, I'm a bit conflicted about that because we haven't seen Aaron commanding them uh, directly. I'm not sure that this is exactly what his plan was, or this is Jelena's when the wine he brought uh, from Marley. Yes, exactly, Akai. We can't be sure if this was all Aaron's doing or someone else's doing, but there's a, a few points I want to discuss. The current hierarchical structure within Paradis was corrupt. You saw Survey Corps, Hanji was betrayed by her own comrades and leadership uh, because they went behind the Survey Corps' back and decided to eat Zeke. They, they didn't include them. And so they did carry out several actions that I would deem as corrupt. But not only that, I think Aaron is fighting any sort of power structure that is oppressive. And right now, the most oppressive power structure is the rest of the world. They want to annihilate paradise. And that's unjust. That's fundamentally unjust. There was a declaration of war. Yes. 
I, I don't believe for a second that he would just kill everyone's, take away everyone's freedom aside from himself. I think he just wants to sort of completely dismantle any sort of oppressive structures in society. And, and the most oppressive would be the United Military Front. And, and then that way that would achieve uh, a momentary peace that you can actually work upon and, and make relationships and sort of try and to- And what about the 2000 years of oppression that the Eldians, I mean, I, I think, I think we've heard that particular story now from four different individuals that the Eldians for 2,000 years attacked each other, attacked the world, that the power of the Titans was perhaps the most corrupt of them all. Do you think Aaron's planning on mm -hmm. dismantling that as well? We, we don't know who was the king in that time, but I can bet that he was an ambitious one. So when he saw the power of Titans, I think he, he tried to use it to govern Marley and all the other nations. We don't know if Ares shares this sentiment of ambition towards the world, but for me, it doesn't seem so. It seems more like he wants Eldians to live in peace and don't be bothered be, uh, because of uh, the other nations. But Eldians don't live in peace regardless because of the Titan. That if anyone, anyone who has a Titan power can turn others into Titans. I mean, the island of Paradise was oppressed for a hundred years by their own people, by their own, by Eldians who were transformed into Titans. Zeke has oppressed people by turning others into Titans. I mean, I guess this is probably a way bigger conversation, but whatever Aaron is planning cannot fix this. Whether or not it's only Eldians left in the world, there's always going to be somebody with power taking freedom away from others. The other day, I was thinking about what if Eren commanded Ymir to make Eldians not able to transform into Titans anymore. I mean, I hope that's what he's planning. I had high hopes for Eren, and I was hoping... That was at least one of his uh, goals, and it might still be, keeping my fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. But I've been biting my tongue for, I think, the past 40 minutes. <laughs> and uh, it's fine, but I, I do have some thoughts. And um, you know how the past couple of chapters I said I was warming up to Aaron, especially because of the final exhibit going on in Japan, where it seemed like he and Reiner would start working together. Yeah, I've let go of all of those hopes. I, uh, I'm back to where I was with Aaron. I'm a lost cause <laughs> at this point. He is someone who is chasing after his own idea of freedom. He doesn't really care about how it affects others. He's just like, this is my vision. This is how it has to be. And I'll do anything to accomplish it. And people were saying as well about this chapter, like, oh, Aaron is the person who always keeps moving forward. And, um, you know, when he had that talk with Falco, he said, um, I'm the person that, or the kind of person that ke just keeps moving forward into that hell. But I don't think he is the person who keeps moving forward into that hell. He is creating that hell. He himself is responsible for a lot of the wrongs in this world at this point. And I was hoping that, you know, he would try and fix something. But I feel like, He's only making matters worse, and there's creating a lot of collateral damage along with it. Mm, okay. Mm. <laughs> so, go ahead. No, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a very valid point, and I understand why you think about that, and I respect that. 
I, but... I don't know. We, we... <laughs> no, no, there's not a but. <laughs> um, from my point of view, if we think about the first season and all that, when we knew nothing about the world and we just see this giant or these different titans attacking the people, when Eren was a cadet or when Eren was in the survey corps, can we agree that he was defending his people that yes. were attacking them? Yes. Okay. After that, I think that no matter what Eric have said, the the declaration of war was inevitable, and that was used out of fear of the other, the rest of the world towards Eldia, because as you said, Eldians it's a threat toward the world in the in the world's point of view. So I don't think that Eren had made he, the, the whole thing worse, like uh, with his direct actions. I think this hell was inevitable since the fear of the world towards the aliens. Yeah, and I would just like to comment, like uh, we can't actually uh, force Eren to be perfect, right? We can't actually uh, fall into the perfectionist fallacy, whereas if every single oppressive power structure was, uh, like, we expect Eren to completely dismantle every single power structure. I agree, Titans are really bad. And I think Eren would agree with you, Mom, Taku, and Luna, that uh, Eren doesn't like Titans. He doesn't want Titans to rule the world. He wants uh, pretty much everyone to be free. And that's pretty much the goal he's fighting for. And the, and we know that the world oppresses Eldians much worse than Marley. And I would say that's a much bigger wrong than anything Eren has done. I can't fault Eren. I think he's completely justified in trying to fight against this power structure. It's not that he that he's not justified in fighting, you know, people who are trying to kill his people or are oppressing them or spreading propaganda. It's the way he's going about it. But I don't think that Armin's actions or the way he tries to dialogue with the enemy, I don't think mm -hmm. that's effective either. I, I don't think that the world would listen because the world only sees aliens as devils, as spawns of devil. Yeah. But we do have examples of people who did. I mean, people who were willing to see the Eldians mm. as people. So I, I just, I cannot accept the fact that there was not a chance for peace. That's just, it goes against everything I believe in, in fiction and in the real world. I completely agree with you, Mom Taku. I think uh, peace was a valid option and I think they should have acted on it. But like uh, Survey Corps is not the leader of Paradise, right? They're, they can't unilaterally decide what to do. And it wasn't something that I think... So Aaron decided unilaterally what to do. Oh, that was after, uh, you know, the conversation with Yelena and uh, when things got really bad. Aaron, so, Aaron started <laughs> lying to the Survey Corps in Chapter 89. Ever since Serum Bowl, he's not been telling them the truth. So he's not been playing... I can forgive him for those lies. The pattern is that he started on a solo course right after the Serum Bowl. You know, I don't know that he ever gave Hanji or anyone else a chance. Something Akai was talking about earlier. Akai, you, do you think if Willie had not declared war, that Eren would not have attacked the people of Liberia? Eren is my favorite character, our character. And that's because of this, because he's imperfect. And I think Isayama did a great and an awesome uh, work by giving a character 
thoughts that no one knows what he's thinking right now. So I think that I I can know we we can know that if the um, we don't know if Aaron will have act different, but we saw him. The only thing we know that is that he attacked after the declaration of war. As I said, we we can we can tell what Aaron's thinking at all. So that's why I like him. I I like how. He has his own mentality, like a fictional mentality, but it's different with other protagonists and other series. It's like you know more than the protagonist himself. Just you're like, oh, this character has a fire, and this character will have to face this enemy. But with Aaron, it's different. We we don't know what he's thinking, and he knows more than us. Yeah, and I would say that there's sort of a false equivalence here. I think asking the question, would the situation be different if Willie hadn't declared war, is it's sort of missing the point. The reason why Aaron attacked Liberio in that instance is because he wanted a united world military to be there that he can crush later. Because he, he wants the world to attack Paradis in order to wipe out, completely dismantle this entire military front in order to completely stop any future wars from occurring, at, at least for another 50 or 100 years or so. And so if attacking Liberio didn't produce that outcome, Aaron would not have attacked Liberio. That's how I sort of perceive Aaron's character. Because Willie declared war, it's part of the reason why Aaron attacked. Do you think he was holding out hope for something else coming out of Willie's mouth? Or do you think he was planning on attacking anyway? Uh, I actually think Aaron might have had information from Zeke about this, because Zeke sh uh, probably should have <laughs> known that they were going to declare war. I mean, Zeke spoke with all the other warriors, and and I think it was pretty evident that uh, the Willie family was going to do something along these lines. And so the information came to Aaron, and it seemed like Aaron knew what he had to do when, the, when that happened, when he declared war on the evil devils of paradise, right? That was his first smile since... He, we saw him again. Mm. Akai, back to what you said, I do agree. Like, I like Aaron Yeager as a fictional character as well. So he is one of the most interesting main characters of any work of literature I have ever read. So I, yeah, some of what you said, I definitely agree with. But interesting for me doesn't make him necessarily likable. I think, uh, I think that we, we can agree that we're looking for different things on a protagonist. I like the how complicated they are. They are how human like they feel. Or I I like when they're morally gray rather than the perfect protagonist that is always good with everyone and it's you know it it's, it looks too good to be human. But I think Montana yeah. like, likes them like that and and that's pretty fair. I agree. I I enjoy characters that are you know are not black and white. It's like all colors of the rainbow that being said i feel like aaron is going a bit too far to the black and white exactly. side so yeah too he's blackish. not a yeah too blackish <laughs> so yeah that's can how i, I can feel. i make one more aaron yeager gripe no, I, for, I, as far as i'm concerned uh, always okay. but Here's, you have okay. to ask so our guests if you all would like i mean I feel like the person from the meme sitting in the um, at the table, you know, changed my mind. One thing that's always really <laughs> bothered me about Aaron Yeager is that he's not the most 
brilliant, strategic. He's an amazing fighter. He has a strong will, but he's not the plan guy. He's not the one that comes up with the plan. But what about now in the present? Well, I'm just, it's only been four years. It's only been, so we we have to look Mm -hmm. at Aaron pre-time skip to make these decisions. I would say even arguing for Armin on the rooftop was an emotional decision. It was not a logical one. And I don't fault Aaron for that at all. He had every right to argue for his friend. Flock is the one that called the truth on that, that they were they were arguing selfishly with their hearts, that they weren't making sense. And what Flock mentioned as being frightening about that was that Aaron believed it. Aaron absolutely believed his rightness. What I see now four years later is a continuation of that. Aaron thinks he knows what's right. He's denying himself the wisdom of the people around him, the strategies of the people around him. Mm-hmm. He's calling all the shots. He's got mm-hmm. no right to. And I don't trust his ability to. I think I don't trust that he's a brilliant, you know, long-range thinking, unemotional, objective. I don't I don't give him credit for any of that. I give him credit for his will and his fighting abilities. But mm-hmm. having the power does not mean you automatically get to say how it's used. I feel like breaking out away from his friends and people that he trusts or that he should trust who are smarter than him and might have better ideas than him. I just I I I don't trust him. I don't trust him to be the one calling the shots. I actually agree with you that he doesn't hear his friends, and I think he should do it totally. But I think this is a consequence of him knowing what's going to happen after kissing Historia's hand. Maybe that's why he's like to focus on what his plans are, or that's why he's so sure about his right. I think it's a consequence of knowing these fragments of the future. Yeah, I mean, that would, that would explain but I, it. I agree with you. He should, yeah, he, he should hear more different opinions apart from his. Whatever he's planning must be horrible if he's not willing to tell anybody he cares about. And, you know, if his whole goal is just to <laughs> basically the slash and burn approach to every relationship and friendship he's ever had, it, it must be pretty awful if he couldn't trust them with it. Mm. Akai did mention why Aaron was her favorite character. So you guys, I'm very curious. Luna, why is Reiner your favorite character? And Mamtaku, why is uh, Erwin your favorite character? Um, actually, I've, I've told this story before, but in the beginning, and I'd say until chapter 91, I did not like Reiner very much. Personality-wise, he was a little bit bland to me, and his physique I didn't find rather appealing, so he kind of always felt on the wrong side of the of the scale for me but uh after 91 i was like oh he kind of looks handsome (laughs) now and then you know (laughs) we had the um, we saw a bit more of his personality and i think that's where isayama really excels letting people that he draws feel like human beings to us and um, that's also why i don't really enjoy this route he has taken with Aaron. you know we're so in the dark and he's the main character and we have no idea really what he's thinking. And he's opening up to us more now, Isayama, about what's going through Aaron's mind. We, we still are left with so many questions. And when that is the strong, to me at least, one of the strongest points of your story, I feel like it kind of takes away of the, yeah, of the quality. And with Reiner, and I think the Marley arc, he, he did it really well. He really showed us what it was like to go through depression. We saw 
Falco and at the end also Gabby, you know, they felt really human to me in this entire arc. I've been kind of missing that. That's why I think I am not enjoying the latest chapters as much. And yeah, he's just, he's an interesting character to me as well because he has done some terrible, awful things. But unlike Aaron, of course, at the time, he didn't fully realize what he was doing. And also unlike Aaron, and most importantly, I would say, he is, yeah, he, it, it weighs him down, you know, the weight of what he has caused to the Eldian people. All the terrible things he's done, they have really taken a toll on him. I don't think he's trying to make amends, but he's at least trying to prevent others from making the same mistakes he did. That's, maybe that's the part of why I don't like Aaron that much, because I don't really see that with him. But that's my opinion. <laughs> Do I just Montaka, take it away? <laughs> I think when I explain my favorite thing about Erwin, it will it will completely crystallize why I don't like Aaron. My favorite thing about Erwin, I have two that always come to mind. The first is that he never lost faith in humanity. When I think about Erwin's childhood backstory, it's just as tragic as everyone else's, right? Young boy, we don't know what happened to his mother. His father died because of a, a mistake that he made, and yet Erwin didn't become blind with rage. He wasn't filled with a need for vengeance. He never became bitter and resentful. Instead, he continued to want to do the right thing. When he met with those nobles in Mitras to try to determine why his father had to die, what were their intentions, he was willing to let it go if he discovered that they had good reason, that it was for the protection of the people. When he found out it was because of their selfishness, that's when he enacted the uprising plan. He always gave people the benefit of the doubt. And my second favorite quality about Erwin is just his humility. What's one arm when others have given so many? Use me as bait. You know, no matter how extraordinary what he did was, he always minimized his own credit. And I think the fact that he was a humble person is most evident in how he didn't discriminate against people. So weirdos, mm -hmm. freaks, 15-year-old children, he never worried what people would think about. You think about people like Hanji, Levi, Mike. In real life, they would never be elevated to positions of power, and yet Erwin saw their value. Whoa, 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 hold up. What's wrong his with His nose. Mike? Like, he had that, like, people were freaked out about his nose. <laughs> That's the point. Yeah. Mike, Mike's smart pass <laughs> story even talks about how people were afraid of him. His smart pass story yeah. mentions it. <laughs> Why is that so funny? Like when he's meets Aaron yeah. and smiles. You imagine? No, okay, Luna. You have some creepy coworkers. If you had a coworker that came up and sniffed you every time you went to go do something, oh, and smile yeah. weird, and go away. Okay, no, I thought you meant like his physique. No, that that was no, 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 weird. But oh no, I didn't know he sniffed people. What go back and yeah. look at like chapter fourteen. No, he he. Yeah. So Mike yeah. was a weirdo. Mike was, they were all absolute weirdos. And uh -oh. yet Erwin elevated them to the highest positions possible. So that's what mm -hmm. I love. Erwin was willing to do everything Aaron's willing to do, but he never lost sight of the people around him. Luna, I completely agree with you. Reiner's actually my second favorite character and I really like him. And I also really like Erwin. Okay. I'm not trying to downplay everything he did. What about Mike? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he was also a great character. Uh, would you enjoy him sniffing you? Oh, yeah, Mike can sniff me anytime he wants. 
so obviously we all, I, I like humility. Luna likes tragic, <laughs> sad stories. If that's what you got well. from that, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you like beefy, okay, I, here's what I got from that. You like beefy men with sad, tragic. <laughs> blonde men. Beefy blonde yes. men. She was joking that they wouldn't get, uh, allow me a visa when I go to the US because I like Reiner too much. <laughs> I like Reiner too. I love Reiner. I love Erwin. I want to love Aaron. I keep wanting to. I've been trying for 121 chapters. The best I felt for him is sorry for him and now angry at him. Yeah, I think with Aaron, I went from like, eh, to completely disappointed to... I don't know, dislike to hopeful. And now I've given up a hope. <laughs> so we'll see. It's been a bumpy ride with Aaron for me. So humble. Why do you love him? Okay. So in order to properly explain why I love Aaron, I would have to sort of explain myself in a way. So season one of attack on Titan came out in 2013 and I was sort of going through, uh, oh, th that's when I was kind of in my adolescent, uh, edgy phase you know we all kind of go through an edgy phase and so based on my personal experiences I kind of fostered a deep-rooted sense of disdain for the state of affairs all around the world so like I, I really distrusted the institutions and the government to really protect me okay this is sounding really conspiratorial but what I'm trying to say is uh, like like I, I at a very young age, I really had a strong disdain for power structures. And this kind of pushed me into becoming a sort of anarchist. So an anarchy usually gets a really bad rap. It sounds like it's complete chaos. There's no rule of law. There's no concept of societies. But the thing is, uh, anarchy isn't new. Its origins stem from the Enlightenment and Romantic period. One of the leading philosophers of classical liberalism is Wilhelm von Humboldt. He thought the absolute and essential importance of human development and its richest diversity sh uh, should be the goal. So institutions that constrain such human development are illegitimate unless they justify themselves. So essentially, anarchism is a tendency in human development that seeks to identify structures of hierarchy, domination, authority, and others that constrain human development. Once an unjust hierarchy is identified, you subject them to scrutiny. You ask those structures to justify themselves, and if they are in fact illegitimate, then you dismantle them and build them from the ground up. So essentially, you uh, that's all anarchism is. The, the soul of anarchism is identifying uh, oppressive power structures uh, not dismantling them immediately, but telling them to, themselves to justify them, uh, themselves and then dismantling them if they are illegitimate. And so like there are some uh, hierarchies that are legitimate. For example, a mother and a son. That's a, that's a justified hierarchy and can be in place. Now, when I uh, saw Attack on Titan for the first time in 2013, you saw the Colossal Titan bash in the door and uh, Armin, the, he narrated, that day, the human race remembered the terror of being dominated by them and the shame of being held captive in a birdcage. So I really like the language Isayama uses here. He says the humiliation of being a slave. There's no honor, no pride, nothing noble or righteous of having your freedoms taken from you. So that's that's like like when I was a kid and I saw that, that was like I completely fell in love with Attack on Titan. That's exactly what I was, you know, the sentiments I felt. and. And then immediately in that same episode, 
we saw Aaron Yeager and uh, one of the moments, like if you had a pick, if I had to pick a moment, I would say it's the moment he saw his mother being eaten. Like when Dina's Titan snapped Carla in half and uh, started eating her, Aaron didn't look away. Like Mikasa looked away. Aaron knew his mother was about to be eaten, but he didn't look away. He knew that he was going to see something horrific and he looked anyways because Aaron is not the type of person who wants to live an easy life, who who's fighting for freedom because it's good for him. He's fighting for freedom as a concept and uh, I think that's very interesting and th that would be the reason why I love Aaron Yeager. Thank you, Humble. <laughs> Thank you for your thoughts. Oh, I'm sorry. I think I was just a bit nervous because, like, I'm I'm pouring out all my emotions at once. No, no, she meant like you should change your name to Rumble. I think <laughs> Rumble Servant. I appreciate what you're saying, Humble, but I think what I said before. My problem with Aaron is that this isn't actually going to work. I mean, human nature itself is such that people can't be free. As you know, Aaron is making decisions for people. He's denying them their freedom, right? I would have to agree. The structures of domination and oppression is literally most of our history, if not all of it. Like throughout all of history, when have people really been free? And it's and you don't actually find that anywhere. There are few moments of free spirit, and that's what helps inspire change in unjust system. So Dostoevsky writes about this, that most people really are afraid to be free. Most people want to defer to authority. They want to conform. Most people are afraid of freedom because it demands great amounts of courage from them. And not everyone is courageous. So like, I would ask for everyone to look back through history and uh, think about those guys who have, who have given up a lot of their freedoms. So like, like, you know, you can look at Jesus on the cross, or you can look at so uh, Socrates. He was condemned by his own uh, society. One of my heroes is uh, Muhammad Ali. He, he lost millions of dollars. He went to jail, and he suffered just because he, he opposed uh, the war. He didn't want to go to war. And so, like, he, he took back his freedom. I'm not going to fight. You're not going to force me to fight. And look at what happened to him. So was that his freedom was it not like uh, he was ostracized like if you remember at the time he was ostracized for his beliefs and so most people are fine with conforming complying and even submitting if they meant that they could live a good life and I think uh, there, there are very special people in history that do fight for freedom that do fight unjust oppressive systems and I think Aaron is one of those people he 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 doesn't like himself being oppressed or others and he and he fights for freedom. And I, I can't overlook that, right? This is something very like sentimental for me. So I guess when, when I defend Aaron, it is mostly from a biased perspective. It is, it is not me reading objectively. So I will concede that. This reminds me of Kenny's speech before he died, when he said everyone was a slave of, of something. Basically, he said the same thing. He said that no one is really free because you're always uh, depending on something or someone like, I don't know, Levi's mom with her child or alcohol or uh, woman or love. And I, I, think, I think that I agree with the point. I think it's um, a very human aspect. Um, and I think that's how it is. I think our nature made, uh, makes us have to cling onto something or have to depend onto something. I don't think that 100% freedom doesn't exist. That's where my mind goes to. Aaron's fighting for something that 
just like Erwin looking for truth, there's no such thing as truth. There is no absolute truth. Each truth opens up a thousand more mm-hmm. questions. Aaron's pursuing freedom. There is no such thing as freedom. We're all slaves to something. Yeah. Humble, I, I, I appreciate everything you said, but I still consider it sort of a leap of faith until we know what he's planning. Mm-hmm. I would completely agree with that. I am, I'm not like, I, I can't see the future. I don't know where Isayama wants to take Aaron's character, but it is, it is me trusting Aaron based off of what we've seen from him so far. Since the beginning all the way till now, I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt, and that's, that's why I still trust Aaron. But, but I, I'm telling you, the moment it comes out that Aaron wants to kill everyone else and it's just Paradis, maybe he's a rule that survives, I will disavow Aaron and, and say that he, he did everything wrong. So It's funny how Aaron transcended the paper. <laughs> Have you seen the memes when he's like, Telling real people. Yeah, what I love to do. that. I love those memes. There's so many of him sitting behind it's Isayama like, pointing at the. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I think that not even Isayama knows what he's thinking at this point. I am getting more concerned with him saying, like, he is more like Aaron than he wanted to admit after this chapter. Like, what does he have planned for us? Chan, chan, chan. We did get an ask on Tumblr from CyborgBoy95, and it's a little bit lengthy. Let me just go ahead and read it. He says, as far as I know, Aaron doesn't declare himself to be justice or to say that all bloodshed he has caused is justified. In chapter 100, he told Reiner he had no other choice. And maybe they're not so different after all. In chapter 97, he admits to Falco that he doesn't know what he's doing, will lead to which outcome, hope or hell, but the only thing he can do is keep moving forward. Thus, Aaron is not the ends justifies the means or for the greater good type of guy. He's throw himself into hell because he sees something behind the hell, which is why I still have hope for him. What about you? I mean, I do agree with what Cyborg is saying, but I don't know. It doesn't inspire confidence in me. Did you guys have any thoughts on that? Well, he says exactly what I pretty much said, and that is like, I do have hope for Aaron. I think he is just fighting for freedom, not only himself, but for others, even the world's freedom, but in a way that dismantles the oppressive power structure that currently exists, that's leading to all this conflict. And so that's kind of what, where I see Aaron's character going. I could be wrong, and I will admit if I am wrong, but that, that is where I have hope. I agree. I, I still have hope. It, it's very difficult to judge someone that sees the future and all of that. So I, I still have hope. Uh, mostly because we don't know what he sees, we don't know what we, he thinks about it. So he knows more than us. So, but I still have hopes <laughs> that it will be good. Yeah. So I think I already talked about Aaron throwing himself in the to that hell. That I disagree with that, and that I think he's creating it. I think that um, as well as in this chapter, we see Grisha telling Zeke to please stop Aaron from mm-hmm. trying to reach his goals. I think that says a lot, and that's also mm-hmm. why I'm kind of giving up hope, because whatever Aaron is planning, I don't think it's, it's going to affect the world in a positive way. That's why I'm slowly losing hope or have kind of lost hope when it comes to Aaron. Maybe it will be more tension between the, the two factions, the world versus Elia. Why don't we go straight into some of these poll questions and get, you, get your opinion on those? Because I think that goes right into this conversation. 
So one thing we asked in the poll was, do you think that Isayama's portrayal of Aaron as being evil is a ruse? Do you all think that he's deliberately portraying Aaron this way to kind of trick us later on? I think it's it's maybe a ruse. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but he haven't showed us these important moments of Aaron expressing himself to these close people. I mean, for my point of view, what he, what happened between him and Mikasa and, uh, and Armin, I think it was used for make them be far from him. I mean, it's like you have to be stay away from me since... I just live to trouble. I just live to, I just live to death and and war. I think it was it was for it was for protecting both of them. But we don't know. I don't know. Isayama hasn't showed us. So yeah, maybe maybe it's a rose. Maybe not. I think Isayama's greatest talent is subverting expectations, and uh, I do. I do completely agree that uh, this is a ruse, uh, or it, it's gonna—it's not gonna be. However, any of us say, I'm a little bit arrogant in this regard. Like, I—I—I want to feel like I'm really good at reading the story and seeing how it's gonna turn out. But Isiyama uh, has tricked me so many times that I—I'm I, completely humbled by him. So, what about you, Lena? Do you think I know you don't think it's a ruse? You think that if it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, swims like a duck, it's a duck. If it looks like a duck, quacks <laughs> yep, like yep. a duck. Quack, quack, duck. It probably, probably is a duck. So you think Aaron yeah. is? Probably. Yeah, it, it's looking more and more like it. Also, just a quick question in between. Was I the only one who thought Aaron looked incredibly feminine this chapter? <laughs> oh, yeah. There was no telling him from Frida in some of those panels. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was funny. He resembled the, um, the cover where they all look like a, a K-pop band. <laughs> you remember yeah. from the Marley arc? Yeah. Yeah, that's what it reminded me of. Luna, I, I really want to ask you, is Aaron too far gone in your eyes? Or can, is there some hope uh, for him to be... To... I mean, even if he changes his uh, final goal, I feel like he's already caused so much damage intentionally and unforgivably that for me, there's no coming back, really. Like, I had hope and then this chapter, I, yeah, I don't know. I think a lot of people are of the feeling that even if he's working towards the good right now, he took the role of the devil. Actually, we asked some of that on the poll, but I wanted to circle back around. One of my favorite things about the poll is when things are like three-way splits. So we asked, do you think Isayama's evil portrayal of Aaron is a ruse? At this moment, the no's to the yeses, people that say no, that this is not a ruse, 35%. People who say yes, 34.8. 0.2% divides those two groups right now. So we have almost a perfect three-way split of people saying yes, no, and I hope so, which uh, I think is always very interesting to see it being that polarized, whether or not Aaron has truly chosen the dark path or if it's all just to trick us. Mm-hmm. So Luna is definitely yes. And uh, I am no, but what about you, Mom Taku? Are you I yes am or- Team Yellow, which is the I hope so. Me too. I do hope that Aaron is working towards something, even if he perceives it as good or is good, that doesn't justify what he's done. But I don't want to think Aaron Yeager is who he's being presented as. It's just too awful to think the contrary to that, you know? So I hope so. And you hope so too, Akai? Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I have, um, it, it's very, I, I don't know how to say it in English. 
intimate, <laughs> intimate question. But I think the humble. Do you think that you expect that people think good about Aaron because you identified yourself with uh, with him? Um, I think a majority of Aaron's uh, fandom is probably an emotional one and probably not equal. I, I'm sure most people don't like Aaron because of his anarchist tendencies. Okay, I'm probably the only one, but uh, everyone mm -hmm. else is probably like, yeah, there's some emotional attachment. There's either something about his appearance or his actions or, you know, just uh, by virtue of being a protagonist is, is really helps Aaron. And so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of reasons why a lot of people like Aaron and I think, and yeah, I'm fine with it. And I think the female fandom I don't know about you, Akai, but a lot of the mm -hmm. female Aaron fans, I think they do recognize something of themselves in Aaron. Mm -hmm. And that's why they like him. Which, you know, maybe it's the same for Montaku and Erwin. It's the same a little bit uh, when I started to like Reiner. To me, Erwin is somebody I would want to be. I would want to be that humble. I'd want to be that non-judgmental. So he's, it's more an ideal that I respect than who I think I am as a person. But yeah, okay, a little bit. Like a, we clearly value some of the same things. <laughs> I will say that. I'm just a shoddy representation of the ideals I see. Actually, I would like to build upon that. Aaron is exactly who I kind of want to be. Okay, that came out wrong. Not exactly, but uh, <laughs> thank you, Rumble. Aaron, Aaron is uh, ideally uh, his will and his ideals are kind of where I want to be. But if I'm being honest, I'm more like Grisha. I like. I try to act on that, but really, I'm fine with living an easy life. And uh, even if it's an oppressive power structure, as long as it's a good life, it's okay, right? I don't think you should aspire to be like Aaron, honestly. <laughs> it's not a kind path to take, for sure. But I, there, there is the need for Aaron Yeagers in the world. The other question, though, Paul, do, to what extent do you believe the ends justify the means? That one's almost a mirror of the evil Aaron question when it comes to the breakdown in the mm -hmm. fandom. The majority of the fandom by the slimmest of percentages is at the point where they feel like there are some lines that should never be crossed. It's a 30-30-30 split. The other group says that any action can be justified as long as it has a good outcome. So I would expect that we all would answer differently on this one as well. I am definitely team. There are some lines that should never be crossed. Okay, okay. So uh, I actually I have a lot to comment here. I am the same with you, Mom Taku. There are some lines that should never be crossed. And I'm definitely in that camp. And, uh, and the, the problem with morality, uh, one, one thing people say is the ends justify the meme. So, so what they're talking about is utilitarianism. Utilitarianism is the greater good is always going to outweigh whatever little bad you have to do. And that's actually a big problem. Most people, they think they are utilitarian, but they're not. In a utilitarian world, you would kill an innocent person so you and take their organs so you can transplant them and save 10 people. If you ever go to a hospital and you happen to match three people uh, and you could save their lives, you would be killed in a utilitarian world so you can save those three people. So no one is exactly true utilitarian. They they do follow some exceptions to the rules. So I just wanna I just wanna outline the hypocrisy when people say the ends justify the means because you don't really believe that. No one really believes that. But I also think there's a difference between the normal human lives, you know, in the society we live on and the times of war. I think in terms of uh, context, 
some actions could be justified for a greater good in in terms of war, but I think that doesn't that shouldn't apply it into normal life, you know, in peaceful lives. Like uh, I don't know, I have a a coworker, but I want I want to succeed more than him, you know. In a normal context, that would make you evil if you try to oppress other people for your own cause, you know, your uh, individual cause. But I think that it can be applied in some time of life, like on war, on in emergencies. Well, this would be an emergency, like the world that they're living in. Mm. And Luna, where would you be? Um, there are certain lines you do not cross. There is such a thing as a war crime still so Mm -hmm. i can agree with that too liberio is a very conflicting incident that happened and it's it's very difficult to talk about liberio because i think it's like the huge crime that Eric did you know killing those innocent people i struggled even before that with the way he treated falco like that's when my relationship with aaron changed when falco was in the room and aaron from chapter 90 and before would never have done that to a, to to Falco to someone like Falco that he knew was good and yet he was willing to risk Falco's life as well. Okay, so I have a question for both Luna and Mamtaku and that is the rest of the world commits war crimes all the time and Aaron does it once. It can war crimes be justified if everyone else is doing it or should we always hold ourselves to the morality that we have despite the impressive uh do two wrongs make a right basically if everyone else is doing it no yeah no 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 (laughs) let me let me comment on what humble said i think it's different when you know when everyone is making war crimes maybe you don't mind and you should you know don't do the same but it's different when it affects your own family your own people your own friends i mean if 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 the enemy is making war crimes towards your people i mean they suddenly kill your your brother or they suddenly kill your friend i think it's it's different when the war crime affects you so maybe what's humble saying is is uh, a bit twisted but i think it it depends but because you have to do something where those war crimes are affecting you and the ones you love I think this goes back to what Luna was saying earlier, though, that did Aaron actually have to do this? He created the hell he's walking into. And that's where we can't really answer that question until we see how this ends. The fact that there wasn't a chance for peace and that was taken away with the attack on Liberia, or I believe there was a chance for peace. I don't think Paradise was helpless. I do think they could have worked it out. I think Aaron destroyed that. That's a war crime to me. And that's that's where I would find it very hard to believe the ends justify the means. What about you, Luna? Um, well, I do agree with Akai in a way. The wrongs that are done to you are always the worst ones. But whew, it's hard. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't justify Liberio either. It's, it's pretty difficult. Maybe Aaron could have done something different. But, you know, in, in, in the adrenaline of the moment, maybe he just made a mistake and took the wrong decisions. Well, that's the whole point. I think Aaron seems so confident in what he did, and he didn't really seem to mind the the damage he caused because he was doing it f- to achieve his goal. That was the most important thing. So 
to hold others in, in such little regard just because they're not on your side? I don't know if that's actually true, Luna. And uh, I would just push back. Listen, you bit. always say, oh, we don't know. For <laughs> you, okay. you also don't know for sure right, that's not the right. case. That's the thing. Until we know the story, we really can't. You're giving Aaron a lot of leeway, like, well, maybe. It's no, like no, 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 no. I think in this instance, I don't think we can say that Aaron didn't care about the people that died. I mean, we we saw in this chapter, he looked down and he was he was emotionally affected by the children that mm -hmm. were killed. And uh, I think I think that holds true in Liberia as well. He I don't think he wanted he didn't take satisfaction. No, that's true. At the time, he was more in a, a numb state mm -hmm. of mind. Now he's more in the ragey state of mind. But he he wasn't it, he it, like Reiner. We definitely saw him being affected. I am a pro Aaron, but I totally don't justify what happened on Liberia. Maybe he should have waited a bit more. Maybe wait to be on a battlefield to do what he did. Like he he consciously chose to. Maybe he's sorry for all the innocent people that died there. It doesn't matter if you're sorry after what you did because it's it's irreparable. Yeah, and I think part of it was also like he wanted to cause as many civilian victims as possible. Mm -hmm. And I think also to show like the horrors that the Parodicians are capable of to kind of bring the war to their doorstep. Like there's a reason I believe that he did that. And we're going to see that. It's like you saw me as a devil, I show you how devil I can be. That doesn't make it right. But I think there's a purpose to it, which still doesn't make it right, no, but... And, and I actually would disagree with that characteristic. I don't think Aaron is doing this out of revenge or hatred. I mean, I don't talk about the whole Aaron history. I, I just, I'm just talking about what happened on Liberia. No, even then, I feel like he was very calculated. He was very objective you know he, he wasn't doing out of emotion he was able to reason out where the warhammer titan was and he was very impartial in that moment well circling back to the poll this month um there was a couple that i thought again were just very interesting how polarized we are we had um, a likert scale write the following statement at this point in the story aaron is a villain i didn't say the villain a villain and i think almost <laughs> I didn't say villain, but I said Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> right. Now, well, that was Luna's. <laughs> that was Luna's. And that was fascinating, too. That even people willing to consider him a villain, whatever that means, a villain to, you know, there was no detail here. Almost 40% of the fandom picked the neutral option. They were, they refused to commit. And I mm -hmm. think that's because of how much, how loved he is. Like, they, nobody wants to think that. 40% are neutral on that topic. The biggest piece of the pie disagreed. The Hannibal Lecter question, like the majority of people kind of scored him high on that. But the next question, how much do you love him anyway? Luna, you and I are in the minority because <laughs> 75%, how much do you love him anyway? 75% selected either a four or a five on a scale from one to five. I think that a character doesn't have to be good for you to like him. I, I like a lot of villains. I think that's why I think that the character itself, it doesn't have to be the good or the protagonist to for you to like him as a reader. Yeah, I agree. I mean, 75% are going to love him no matter what he does. He could kick puppies, push old ladies in the street. <laughs> okay, okay. 
Uh, as someone who does love Aaron, if he kicked a puppy on the street, I would hate him immediately. I don't, I don't think Aaron's that. I don't think Aaron is that type of person. And, he was you know, willing to kill Falco, and if that's not kicking a puppy, I don't know what is. What he did to okay, Falco okay. was kicking oh, no, a no. puppy. You cannot tell me he, that's not the equivalent. Okay, so I would disagree with that because he helped Ryder get up. He motivated Ryder. I think Aaron was not surprised that Falco was alive, and he I think that was because he Falco. He destroyed Falco's entire. Like Falco went from a, a sweet kid who wants to help people to suddenly realizing that he's helped the man who could possibly destroy the world. That's kicking a puppy. Falco was aiming to be a titan shifter, so he would have to kill people or innocent yes. people. Yes, he took Aaron Yeager, took a sweet, a sweet little boy who deserved a good life, he was put him in a basement I mean, room a with Reiner boy, and transformed into a titan. Luna, back me up here. <laughs> I mean, Fal I love Falco. Falco is a sweet little boy, a little puppy, but I'm telling that Falco is a cutter, right? He was aiming to be a titan shifter. In the end, he was going to to be in this war and, and to maybe kill innocent people too, or maybe do an anarchist move like Humble would want. So, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's a... Pretty, he's a puppy, he has good intentions, but it's always a bit interesting that he chose his, this path on the first place. But he chose his path because he had to, because of his uncle's crimes, and also because he wanted to protect the girl he loved. I appreciate your sentiment, but <laughs> he, yes, he, he would have grown into a killer, but... He would have had to. Forced by external forces. But at that point in the story... When I say Aaron would kick a puppy and people will still love him, his treatment of Falco is evidence <laughs> of that to me. Okay, so where I would disagree is, like, Falco was going to become a titan shifter. He was fighting for that. And Aaron wanted him to live a good life and discourage him from becoming one. But Falco had his own motivation, so he was going to go down that path anyway. And I think uh, the situation with Aaron and Reiner really helped Falco see reality and uh it would ultimately help falco be a better person so it helped falco see that uh, marleans and aliens weren't so different when he, when he said falco was really shocked when aaron said rainer that they weren't too different i don't care how you guys spin this aaron was not doing falco any favors <laughs> no. in that moment no he... we're still talking about liberio and i don't justify what happened about liberio <laughs> There's no way that you can say that anything Aaron did to Falco in that basement or leading up to it in any way benefited or helped him grow as a character. It was a cruelty. And whether it, it was a necessary cruelty for freedom for the world, I think we have yet to see that. But you can't, there's no way to spin what he did to Falco as anything other than really awful, I think. I think okay. I spend it really successfully okay. if you. Let me Comment in the comments what you think. <laughs> well, you know, you guys get the advantage because, like I said, 75% of people are going to like either they're going to see Aaron through lenses that are going to spin it positive anyway. But just that was wrong. That was like taking organs from one person to benefit 10. Okay. That's what, that's what, that's what his treatment of Falco was. Luna, save me, please. <laughs> It's okay, it's okay, you're valid. <laughs> oh, let's just move on to the next topic. <laughs> okay, I think we have, have, we have, we have exhausted Aaron Yeager, I think, yes? Yes, yes. Okay, Luna, where do you want to go? Um, let me see. Do you want to talk about the, the 
time travel topic because I don't think we really discussed it. We haven't mm-hmm. discussed it at all. Shall we go with that one then? Let's let's do it. So let's talk about Yay. time travel. <laughs> <laughs> because that's going to be so easy after Aaron's morality discussion. Yes. Yeah. I've read somewhere that this is the kind of time travel that has uh, the serious dark opposed as the, you know, the time travel that Avengers did on the last movie. Yeah, there was this one person who made this really long post explaining the if it was a continuous time loop or... Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like uh, that you can change the past. It's like dark. It's like uh, things happened because it's something in the future made it happen and made it that way. Yeah. So it was always meant to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was Skyclad Observer who made the chart that has everyone talking that explained the different types of time travel and which one that this most likely is. And we will link to that in our description if anyone has not seen it. But yeah, basically, this is a fixed timeline. He described it as one where basically it can't be changed, it's a closed time loop. The events have always happened the way they have. And he equated it to what happened in like say Harry Potter and the Terminator versus the time travel that we see in uh, things like Star Trek and yeah, Avengers, whatever. So it's a, it's a fixed timeline that cannot be changed. Mm, it's, like, it's like dark. It ties in more to fate where these things were always fated to happen, which of course opens up the huge question of whether or not Aaron is truly free or if he has to do this. Okay, so this is where I would actually like to talk about determinism versus compatibilism. Angrian and I uh, spoke about this before, and what most people think is is deterministic. And what determinism means is that everything is predetermined. Everything is going to happen one way, and there is no changing it. It is absolutely fixed. And uh, a closed time loop, it may seem contradictory, like who came first? It's like the chicken or the egg. Did Aaron... Mm -hmm come first or did baby Aaron become big Aaron so what happened so when you create a when you create a time loop that that contradiction no longer exists because you have looped the future and the past it be it there in a circle there is no beginning no end so you have to stop thinking about it as a beginning or an end because it doesn't exist it's a it's a circle it's a loop and so in determinism everything happens one way and there's no changing it and actually, I would argue that you guys should not be t- determinists because if Aaron has no free will, if he can't choose what he does, then you can't blame Aaron. And so I urge you guys to be compatibilist like me. In compatibilism, Aaron has free will. Everyone has free will. Everyone gets to choose their actions randomly, however they want. And then that creates a timeline. That timeline is fixed, but they're individual personalities are not fixed and so in in this compatibilist world you can hold people accountable and it still falls in with the within the determinism framework so i would ask you guys luna montaku would you guys be determinist or compatibilist hmm that's a kind of serious question this late in the night i think it's it's compatibilism since if it, w- if it were determinism, the thing just happens because it happens. But in this story, the things on the past have changed because Eren told, in this case, Grisha what to do. So I think it fits more compatibilism because that was a result of 
Eren's free will and Grisha's free will to listen to Eren in the first place and Eren free will to change that. I, I, I don't think that this would be determinism. I think it will be determinism if this happened because it happened and no one changed that in the first place. Right. I agree. I think determinism would not be a fun story. It wouldn't be interesting to read. I absolutely believe that Aaron has had the choice to do these things. He saw his future that he's already done, basically. So he always did these things. It's not necessarily anybody causing him to do them. If it is somebody causing him to do them, like if he has no choice in this, then I guarantee you he's going to make a choice. Mm -hmm. He's going to he's going to break. He's going to break out of that timeline. Otherwise, what would be the whole point of this story? Like it has to be Aaron changing mm -hmm. the system. If he is ultimately a slave to fate, if he is in a deterministic type situation, then the whole story was a lie. We're all going to be very sad. <laughs> yeah. What's the point? Like that. This would have been the biggest waste of my time ever if that's the case. I don't say waste of time, but it mm. will be, I don't know, crushing all these years. <laughs> mm. I, yeah, there's, there is such a thing as free will, of course. I, I don't believe that everything is like preordained. This is more like a, a question you should ask the Berserk <laughs> readers, by the way. And uh, one thing people who are determinists would say is they would appeal to authority or intelligence. They would say Einstein was a hard determinist. And I, I would just argue with that. Einstein was also believed, believed in a pantheistic God, and he was a socialist. So if you, if you want to be like Einstein, you have to become a socialist and believe in God. Yeah, I, f I feel like socialism is like a dirty word in the U.S. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's not as bad over here. I'm looking at the poll. Attack Titan... Ability revealed, what do you think of the twist? 72.1% thought it was awesome. It brings it all together. Only 7% say it's confusing and an ass poll. So yeah, the fandom, Isayama did it again, right? He, he did something none of us thought we wanted, but made it something that we're all really excited about. So bravo, Isayama. Bravo. Okay, so I have a question for everyone. Which plan do you most agree with? Do you agree with Carl and that Eldians? Uh, okay, so do you believe, do you believe with uh, Carl that Eldians should uh, be an expiation for their sins? They should be mass murdered in order to quell the revenge of the world and to bring out peace? Do you believe with Zeke? that Eldians should be euthanized and the world army should be destroyed so that we can have a temporary peace and the eventual euthanization of Eldians? Or do you believe in Aaron who wants to wipe out the world armies, supposedly, and uh, and just get rid of the uh, oppressive power structures? Aaron Which doesn't actually choose? get rid of oppressive power structures as long as the Titan powers exist. I was just about to say, you're presenting Aaron's side as much more favorable yep. in the games. <laughs> As long as seven people have the power to basically lord over everyone else, there is no freedom. Aaron would agree with that. I don't think he wants a world dominated by Eldians or, or Titans. <laughs> he doesn't want that world, okay? So uh, I, I would have to disagree with that characterization that Aaron is fine with being, being the one who's omnipotent, being the one who has the founding time. Okay, so you guys don't really like Aaron that much, so I would ask you, does the rise of Aaron Yeager make sense? 
Does he have the popular support of Paradis? Um, from what we've seen so far, until uh, the Jaegerists took over and, you know, turned everyone into titans with the wine. Mm-hmm. I think they fuse him very favorably, right? But they didn't have the whole story. No, but that's, that doesn't matter. Does public opinion matter if the public's not given the truth? Well, that happens all the time, so I don't think you'll ever find a perfect circumstance where the public is 100% informed about everything. The people that I trust didn't trust Aaron, so that colors a lot of my thinking as well. Actually, I disagree with that. Uh, uh, Armin and Mikasa and John ended up trusting Aaron I after everything. said to people I trust. I didn't say Armin, Mikasa, and John. Mikasa, you don't trust... <laughs> you don't trust Armin, Mikasa, and John? Nope. Oh, okay. Okay, then. Even at the final exhibit, Armin's crisis is whether or not he believes in friendship. What, what, what was it? I wish I could remember the exact quote, but it's this. Does he trust his friend or does he trust the truth? Which way is it? And at this point, he's blind to the truth. So only if characters, if only characters <laughs> disagree with Aaron, do you trust them? No, 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 it's it. not it. I, I trust, I mean, my characters are the vets, right? Hanji's disappointed in Aaron. Levi's disappointed in Aaron. Pixis and Niall, like the people whom I've trusted this entire manga, feel entirely uncomfortable with Aaron Yeager behaving the way he's behaving and not trusting them. So, yeah, I have issue with it. I trust them more than I trust him. It's also understandable they don't trust Aaron because Aaron haven't said anything to them about the important things like. You mean, I, I know about the future, I know what's going to happen, and all of that. It, it's pretty understandable that they don't trust him. Yeah, Aaron hasn't said anything to me either. He's acted like, he's acted the way he <laughs> acted for 21 <laughs> chapters now. And I agree, I see glimmers where he's not happy, glimmers where I see the old Aaron. But I think asking us to trust him after 21 chapters of him behaving the way he's behaved is a tall order. And I would just say that the rise of Eren does kind of make sense. When people feel threatened, they are fine, they are fine uh, electing someone who is, you know, very authoritative, who is very a strong man, so they can, be, they can feel protected. A rise of a cult leader happens because people feel threatened. They don't feel safe. And so it, it makes complete sense. But Eren created the situation that was favorable to him to gain the popularity of the masses by the strike against Liberia. Because parodies had time before that. The nations were not capable of overwhelming the Titan powers. They still had the rumbling. They still had options. Well, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think the, the people knew that the world hated them, and they, they did want someone to protect them. Yeah, before Liberia. When they knew the truth, they, they already knew that what happened about the Aymir curse and all of that. And as long as they had the threat of the rumbling, they were safe. But they had no way to activate it, right? They had Historia. Yeah, but they didn't know that. Because Aaron didn't tell them. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he couldn't have known what would happen with that information. He had in his hands the way to protect people, and he kept that knowledge. He denied Historia the right to make that determination for herself. Okay, okay, because I'll, I'll disagree with that. That's okay. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> the whole point of this uh, wasn't to defend Aaron just to know uh, why people uh, followed him 
or why he has the popular support. I think uh, we, we already uh, say a lot about that. I understand why he has the popular support, both of parodies and of people taking the poll, but mm -hmm. those are not the <laughs> qualities I value. Let's move on to the next topic. I want to talk about Gretchen Sieg. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> did you like the hug? Do you feel it's, it's meaningful? Yes, let's talk about the hug. So I had said, I have mm -hmm. said over and over and over again that I felt like when Zeke learned that he was wrong, that his father loved him, that Zeke wouldn't care, that he would selfishly and arrogantly go through with his plan to euthanize his people. So technically I was right, <laughs> but now that we've seen it happen exactly that way, I do think that it was more like desperation at that point to stop Aaron. It didn't seem malicious or it didn't seem like it was to stick it to his dad. It was to stop Aaron Yeager. So I admit to being wrong on that. I was wrong. But do you think that sick changes? I'm glad they had this moment. I am very glad Grisha and Zeke got this moment. Even though I hate Zeke, whether or not it changes him is something for a future chapter to reveal. Luna was not happy that they reconciled. You didn't think that Grisha deserved it. I'm a little bit conflicted about it because I do think it's a good moment in the chapter. Um, because, you know, Grisha is like distancing himself from Aaron at, at the same time as well. Mm -hmm. So I did enjoy that part. But I feel like Grisha was being absolved of all his sins this chapter, basically. Mm -hmm. And that felt kind of cheap to me. After 127 chapters saying like, uh, psych, <laughs> that wasn't really the way it all happened. <laughs> I think it, it happens because Isaiah never told, uh, told us about how Grisha felt towards Zeke. We know that he dreamed about him, that he watch, watches... Uh, his the their photo their family photo every day so i think it was just it, it, it technically it was a ruse all the people that have hated him they're all like backpedaling like not you luna you're the only one not backpedaling <laughs> everybody like andrew and andrews i was at the 119 or 120 when andrew's like yes i was right krisha yeager was a terrible father you know he was like vindicated and now this chapter it's like oh crap <laughs> <laughs> Grisha Jaeger did a lot wrong by raising sick, but I'm yeah. really happy that he he knows about it, that he didn't want to repeat his sins with Aaron and that he loved sick and no matter what. And he I, and he knows he, he did wrong. So I'm very happy that he uh said sorry to him. I don't think that this will change sick, you know, in a 100 degree, 180 <laughs> degree. <laughs> but I think that this will bring him a little more, a bit um, satisfaction or, or peace inside his soul. Because uh, at least he knows now that his father loved him and he did, and that his father knows that he did wrong. I hope that he's better now. I have always said that, and, and Humble, we've, we've gone round and round about this one too, and we're on the same side. 
that Xaver was the problem in Zeke's life, not Grisha. When Xaver told Zeke, mm-hmm. your father never loved you, that's uh-huh. the part. That's, that's when Zeke's life went off the rails. And I think this chapter kind of confirmed that. Xaver wanted to do good, but he just assumed too much things without knowing Grisha or he just knew what Zeke told him. So I think Xaver had good intentions, but yeah. I mean, telling a child that their parents never loved them is a line that you don't cross. Talking about lines you don't cross. That was it. And now we see that that's, that's been, that's what started Zeke down this path. And also the euthanasia was his plan. The original mm-hmm. was from Saber. And uh, I, I would defend Grisha's actions. I would go beyond uh, you guys and say, like, Grisha was uh, justified in the way he raised Zeke, and that's probably going to get me a lot of bad rest. It's, it's weird to talk about Grisha's decisions because we, uh, now we know that Aaron <laughs> contributed in that, like what happened to the rice. But, but I would also like to comment about Zeke. And uh, I, I did sort of predict that Zeke would have some sort of breakdown, and he did. Like, he did make himself vulnerable to his dad, and, and mm-hmm. he said dad. He referred to Grisha as dad. And, and for anyone who doesn't know, <laughs> me and Montaku had a pretty strong disagreement about what would happen to Zeke afterwards. And I guess you could say we both were right and both were wrong. For him to tear up and call him dad, that was a surprise to me. And, I, and I'm not unhappy to see it. It was so cute. It was very cute. I still hate Zeke. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah, I still think that he's another irredeemable character, but I, I'm very glad that they got that moment. I think we, mo- we know more about why Zeke became like this mm-hmm. than, than other characters. We, we know exactly what happened to Zeke, what made him like this, what made him think like this, how this, all of this had an, an impact on, he, on him. Well, the other thing I was really adamant about was that Zeke truly did not care about Eldians. He was trying to get back at his father. And Aaron basically said the same thing I've mm-hmm. been saying. So that's another point that I feel like maybe Aaron was wrong on that. Maybe I was. But Aaron's saying it as well, that this was all Zeke's daddy issues. Uh-huh. Yeah, Zeke was denying his father's wishes. But I don't think uh, when Zeke said to sterilize Eldians, it was because he wanted to continue that, it was more so to stop Aaron. And I would also like to say that all of this is going to contribute to Aaron actualizing his goals. Like, uh, because Zeke told Emir to sterilize all Eldians, it forced Aaron to get out of the chains and go touch Emir. And I feel like that's going to help him do what he wants to do. So ironically, Grisha and Zeke are helping Aaron do what he needs to do. That's sort of how I see the story going. I mean, it is interesting, though, that so many people think that Aaron's playing like a 7D chess game and knows everything and is manipulating anything. I think these chapters have helped us to realize that there's a lot of things that Aaron has no idea. Like, he's been caught off guard and by surprise by a lot of the moments in the last few chapters in the Paths realm. He's running by the seat of his pants, too. He's he's not an all-knowing creature at this point. He's seen glimpses of the future that he's working towards, but there have been plenty of twists and turns that have caught him off guard as well. So he's not omniscient in this. Um, And that allows room for him to be making kind of mistakes as well, because he doesn't know. I mean, I I firmly believe that when he and Zeke got to Pell's pads realm, neither of them had any idea what they were going to do. They just knew they had to get there. And it's kind of frightening to think about that, you know, they, they have the keys to the button to destroy the world. And they don't have the manual to go with it. 
So can I talk a little bit more about the, mm-hmm. the Zeke and Grisha hug? Okay, so I, th- I find it kind of interesting the way uh, Isayama portray- portrayed Grisha in the beginning because um, I don't know if you know, uh, but there was this little documentary about uh, Isayama, I think like a year ago, where it showed a little bit about uh, the relationship between him and his father, and his father was always very negative about his art and said he mm-hmm. never would make it as a mangaka that he wasn't talented enough. And I feel like looking back, I can see a little bit of how he felt about his father mm-hmm. in the way Grisha was portrayed. But I feel like, and that's why I think maybe he's going to have a kid soon. <laughs> that's the reason maybe why he's changing his tune. Maybe he's looking more favorably at his father. Like he understands why his father did those things or maybe. So you don't think this was Now that always... he's becoming a father himself, he doesn't. Yeah, I don't think this was always planned. And That's you've what seen I the think. chapter one, chapter one twenty one comparison panel of Grisha, Two. like when he tells Aaron, "I'll show oh, you the basement yeah. key," and Grisha has his back turned, like that scene was weak, and we see this. Yes. So you think Isayama retrofitted that? I think so, because it was more to focus on the key, you know, and to kind of hide. Um, Grisha's face, his expression, like how he felt about the... Okay, so, okay. Thing, cause, like, All right. Yeah, that's what I think. You don't think Isayama... I, we asked this in the poll. Yeah. <laughs> was this all part of his master plan or no? We, what we asked was, in chapter one, did Grisha see current Aaron when talking about the basement? In other words, was this always the plan? And 54% of the fandom chose the option, yes, damn it, Isayama, you mad lad. Like, 54% <laughs> think that Isayama had this plan from chapter one. 27.5% chose the more simple yes, which I assume means yes. that, yes, he was, but they're not so sure it was, um, you know, quite as well-planned as some of us think. And then... I guess they're not just like the... Damn it! Maybe they're happy right. about it. Anyway, so but you combine <laughs> like, those two. We got we got a solid uh, eighty plus percent of the fandom that think that this in chapter one that that yep. this was planned. Oh yeah, I'm in the, okay. I'm on, in okay. the minority. As long as you know that, so you're no. in the you are That's in fine. the seven percent that think that Isayama did not plan this. I'm more of an a skeptic person. I'm like I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. Humble, do you think Isayama planned this all along? I'm completely with Luna. I think Isayama masterfully incorporated that scene, but it was not planned. I I have a very hard time. Be- I have a very hard time. <laughs> believing. Wow. Well, at least we're agreeing on something. Humble, finally. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I am team. Yes, damn it, Isayama, you mad lad. I think Isayama <laughs> is the master of patience when it comes to telling his story. But I am very open to being wrong on that. Mm-hmm. I've just, he's done like the restorationists, Grisha's um, compatriots being those early titans. That I was willing to say was a happy accident that he worked that in later. But I don't know. Okay, interesting. So you guys are all in the minority on that one. Uh, Isayama does a great job of tying loose ends and making everything fit. Because he changed the ending many times. And, and, he's, and, he do, and he's 
he's done a perfect job of keeping the story consistent so as to making it feel like he had the whole story planned out. So I think that's one of Isayama's many talents is he knows how to write a good story and keep it consistent. You agree with Luna that Grisha, that this was not planned from chapter one? Yeah, we, we know Isayama changed okay. the ending. So I, I have a really hard time believing this. This is exactly how he planned it. If they announce um, the birth of a child in like a few months or whatever, Luna, you're, you're, you called it. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if that would be the case. Yeah. So <laughs> Okay. Interesting. I mean, Isayama is kind of open about all these things. Normally you hear about it like years later that they, that the mangaka is married, let alone has kids. Mm, like, yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if he does announce it. Okay, what's the next uh, topic on the list? You still want to talk chapter predictions, Akai? I hope for the next chapter to be still on path since I want to know what will happen with the founder. So maybe we're going to be still on path. Humble, what do you think? Okay, so uh, for predictions of next chapter, I think I'm already going to guess the title. It's going to be Memories of the Past, <laughs> but we will get what happens in the future. So Aaron will be in the future. He will be showing Grisha what's going to happen, and they'll be talking about uh, everything that happened in the past that led to this moment, and uh, and that's going to contribute to how the future, how the story continues. Do you think we'll finally learn what Aaron's been thinking next chapter? I, it's the end of the volume, so I really hope so, so I can finally yeah. sell my bets. Uh, <laughs> of which you have many. But, uh, yes, uh, but uh, I, I don't know, like, Isiyama was really good at just giving us bits and pieces. I don't know if he's going to give us everything we want next chapter, but we might get great insight, so I'm hopeful. It's a bit difficult for us to have another uh, traveling towards memory since... This was because Sik and Eren was making contact, and that contact is already broken. So I don't know. I don't think Eren is capable of change anything or go back again without um, the collaboration of Sik. So I don't know. Luna, Montaco, uh, what are your predictions? It's really hard to predict the next chapter. <laughs> I can only say what I would like to see, which is uh, Emir. Or, well, the little girl messing everyone's ish up. I'm really looking forward to that. I hope Aaron doesn't get what he won and that she succeeds. And I would like to go back to Falco and Colt eating Zeke because that's happening. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that they're going to come back to Shiganshina until whatever happens in paths is settled. My, I was watching, um, mm. I was thinking about an old clip of Doctor Who where Clara jumps into the time stream to save the doctor and change the past. The only way to do that is to jump into the time stream and essentially shatter her body and uh, create replicas of her that can undo all the moments of time that have led to this moment. And um, I, I honestly, so th the last panel, Aaron's reaching out to grab OG Ymir. Um, and she's heading straight mm -hmm. for that tree towards Yggdrasil or whatever, however it's said. Um, Yggdrasil, so yeah, okay. I feel like he's going to jump into that tree at some point. Like, I feel like he's going to actually enter into the paths 
and affect change that way. But I think that's how he's going to get around the loophole that he can't control the founder. Can't wait. Volume closer. So we should get teasers at least about Levi Hanji and Historia. But, you know, we have to have answers coming soon. Uh, so before we wrap up our manga discussion, uh, there's one final question from Kingsgrave from Twitter. He says, great choices for guests. I don't have a particular question this time around, but I was hoping that you would all discuss the new meaning that Aaron's monologues in chapter 90 and 97 have due to the revelations in this chapter. So I think he's referring to the moment in chapter 90 when Aaron says uh, that nobody knows the future. And then right after he kisses Historia's hand and the revelation this chapter was that, of course, he did know the future right after that. And 97 is probably in reference to his uh, dialogue with Falco, but I'm not sure. If it is the conversation with Falco, this ties into what Cyborg was saying, that Aaron truly didn't know which it was. The only ones that do know are those who keep moving forward. But does he know now? Did he see the future? Did he see what the final audio in the final exhibition let us hear? The conversation in 97 in light of what, of what we know now is interesting because basically he says that the people who see themselves into hell see a different hell from the rest of us. They also see something beyond that hell. Maybe it's hope. Maybe it's another hell. Yeah. I don't know which it is. The only ones that do know are those who keep moving forward. Yeah, so I think what he did see is he will perish at the end, and then beyond that hell will be what he thinks is a new hope for the aliens. But he doesn't know what's beyond that, because he won't be around to see it. That's my two cents on it. What do you think, Humble? Yeah, I think uh, I think these two conversations really do highlight uh, the resolve that Aaron has and why, why he's fighting uh, the way he is. And I think we can take these conversations to mean that Aaron isn't a complete villain like some may think. I think he is looking at a broader picture, and uh, that's the goal he's trying to achieve. It's hard to read conversations like this and think that he has evil intent. It's more reckless intent. I don't know which it is. The only people who do know are Isayama and Aaron Yeager. <laughs> All right. Okay, that's it as far as I'm concerned. We may not have discussed the chapter in detail, but I think we discuss certainly the essence and the spirit of the chapter. And the big question in everyone's yeah. mind is what is Aaron thinking? What is Aaron doing? We talked quite a bit about that, or at least our hopes and dreams regarding that. Yeah, I think so as well. Okay, that was all for our chapter discussion. Next, we'll ask uh, Akai and Humble some questions from our listening audience. We'll be right back after a short break. So welcome back. Um, before we start with the questions from our listening audience, we actually have a few questions from us for our guests. Mom, would you like to start? Akai, I did. I was very excited to have you on the podcast. I'm not artistic at all. 
But I appreciate the work that you all in the SCNK do so much. And, you know, having Renan on about a year ago, you know, we sort of learned about the process and about the quality control, but we've never spoken to one of the artists. So my question for you is, after you spend time with a panel coloring it, do you view it differently? Are there details that you've noticed that maybe the others of us have missed? How does what you do coloring the manga, how does that change your relationship with it? Okay. Rather than after I color, it's more like before and during. Because before I start to coloring the page, I have to analyze a lot, like where's the lighting coming? Or where's, what's the environment? You know, like, sometimes you have to check other pages because, I don't know, there's a window near, but you don't see it in this page. But in another, you can see it, so it changes the lighting and all of that. So rather than after I color it, it's during the coloring when I start to note these small details, like, oh, um, I don't know, Levi lost a bit of his fingers, or oh, there's a lighting here that it's affecting this, and it's pretty good. It feels really nice to see the work finished because I like to bring these pages to life when I color them. Which has been your favorite panel to color or your favorite page? Oof, I've colored a lot. I know you have. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know what my favorite one is? Which one's yours, Luna? Tell her. I want to know, I want to know, I want to know. <laughs> Obviously, it's the one with Aaron's nipples. <laughs> I think I've colored his nipples like um, five times or four. <laughs> Every time Aaron is shirtless, you're... <laughs> yeah, the, the first time I did it was when he was looking himself at the mirror and saying fight. Ah, right, yeah. That, that was the first time I did it. <laughs> well, the one I mean is when he's putting on like his uh, jacket, like on top mm -hmm. of that frock. When he doesn't have any shoes on for some reason? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In, the, in that scene, I think I did it twice. Twice? Like two nipples? No. <laughs> in two <laughs> different panels, I had to do it. Okay. <laughs> so which was your favorite? Or which, I, I don't know, maybe the one that you're proudest of? Or anything that's really memorable in all the ones mm -hmm. that you've worked on? Yeah. I, I think I'd, uh, I know. I don't know. I know. Maybe it's, it's the one that... With Seek, with uh, Rainer, Falco's brother, Pig, uh, and Porco, when they're having uh, breakfast. I don't know if you know. I think is it the one where he's serving them tea when they're where they're talking about the Tiber family and the festival? Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's one of the the pages I'm most proud about because it has so many little details on. A sick office like the book or the things that they used to play vinyl I don't know how you call it in English but I think that's that's the panel that I like the most because I'm a very detailed person in terms of coloring I like to put a lot of little details so I think that's the page where I can do <laughs> my full job and I'll make a difference with my coloring did you want to talk a little bit about the speed paints that you do? You specifically do create speed paints of Attack on Titan, and you put those on your YouTube channel. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You all put out an entire chapter. You've put out every chapter since 101. Is that correct? 
Yeah, I think. Uh, and they're all, we'll, we'll have links to all of those in our descriptions, but um, I, I really encourage everybody to look at them because seeing the manga colored, it's almost like a sneak peek into what we're going to see when this gets animated. It really adds a lot of depth and emotion to the scenes for me anyway. <laughs> Thank you. Personally, I like the atmosphere to add. tell by the way they color it, like uh, how the how the mood is. Uh -huh. So it, that's it, something I really it's appreciate. Really important. Yeah. Sometimes you don't have to be like too realistic in a scene. You know, like this is rock, this is brown, this is uh, I don't know fire, this is orange. Sometimes you can take artistic freedom. <laughs> for a while so you can you can focus more on the mood or the emotions the scene has so you could i don't know if the if it's tension you could do it blue if it's uh anger or you can do it red etc et the atmosphere is is really important too are you looking forward to seeing this animated so you can see whether or not some of your color choices were good ones <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward. Have you made any mistakes or uh, judgment calls that you regret? Um, maybe yes. Um, sometimes Isayama's panels have a lot of errors, you know, like um, the survey corpse uh, emblema or the fact that, for example, Aaron lost his his legs, but then he has the full pants on it, you know? So there's some panels where we have made mistakes. Also, for example, um, an early chapter of Marley, Marley arc, we didn't know the color of the eyes or the color of the hair of the Marley protagonist. So we probably have a lot of uh, mistakes on that aspect. But I guess it, uh, it can be helped. Uh, so I have a question. Are you naturally this gifted or did you go to school for art? No, I didn't go to school. I didn't learn this from anyone, I think. It, I think the, the, the most important thing to improve in this aspect, one is practice. I have, um, I mean, like six years of um, experience doing this. Like when since we since I was a child, I always liked to color and all of that. So I think practice is very important. But also, what is very important is observation, because when you're an artist, you start to see things different. You start to analyze when you see other people fan art, and you're like, oh, he did this like this, and you start to recollect what you like from all of them. So those both factor is what. I think it makes you improve more the experience and the observation. Thank you for answering that. Who is whistling <laughs> in the background, by the way? Yeah. I think it's my brother, sorry. <laughs> so we got a question from uh, Vika on Discord for you, Akai. They wonder if you've ever considered coloring professionally and why or why not? I have considered it, but um, I don't know, maybe for, for um, confidence and all of that or don't know how to approach the work I would like to do. But I have considered I would like to work, I don't know, for animation studios or video games or webcomic or, or maybe comics that are 
printed. I don't know, but I think I could make a good job in in those aspects. Um, I'm still unsure what I am going to do in the future, but let's see what the future has for me. Well, we really have appreciated having you as guest. You and Humble both. It's been wild. Um, I, I mean, I, I've spoken with Humble enough that I kind of knew what to expect. So, but um, Akai, I, I have never spoken with you before, and it's been an absolute delight. So, I really do appreciate you joining us for the podcast. Oh, I feel the same. Thank you very much for having me. So, Humble, thank you as well for being on. We really enjoyed having you and your detailed. Uh, thoughts about this chapter? Uh, thank you for having me. I'm very honored to have taken part of this podcast. It was pretty fun. <laughs> so if you want to be a guest or check out some of our other content, please go to our website, youhearbiggirls.com. If you want to support us, you can do so by becoming a patron, leaving uh, us a Kofi, or liking, subscribing or uh, leaving a comment, or you could just tell your family and friends about us. We would really appreciate that as well. We also wanted to mention that next month we hope to have a podcast, but Luna and I most likely will not be part of it. She and I are going to be meeting for the first time in New York City and spending a week together there. I will be editing the podcast, but uh, we're leaving it in the hands of our good friend, Reiko. So the one 22 volume closer will not include us. It'll be Reiku and whomever she chooses to have as guests. And I have full confidence in her to take care of that while Luna and I are hopefully getting along, having a great time, doing lots of fun things, not fighting, <laughs> and just really enjoying our time together. Yeah, we thought about when we were finally when we would finally be together to actually record, and then we thought, no, let's just enjoy, have fun, and not bring our mics halfway across the world. I'm really glad we made that decision. <laughs> After a year, it'll be nice to have a break. Yes. It will and be. to be together. So if you want to suggest any guests, please do so. And uh, yeah, please support uh, Reiko as well by sending some questions her way as well for next month's podcast once the chapter is out. So as always, thank you for offering your hearts and ears and see you next month or the month after. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Name a book. I'll tell you if I've read it. Uh, the Perfume. No. Have you read that? The Perfume? <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh, I, I love that book. It's a German book, and I've read it in German as well. If you want an interesting main character, The Perfume is a good okay. place I'll to start. I'll remember that. I love how the first book I mentioned, <laughs> you're like, I'm extremely <laughs> sorry.